Hello, my friends. This is Sheila Pearl, the love doctor. Let's talk about making love better. So in this episode, I have invited my friend and colleague, Peter Heyman, to come back and to be with me in this conversation this time. And we're going to be focusing on how we can make love better in every aspect and stage of our lives, but especially what Peter likes to call the fourth quarter. And uh, I'm going to ask Peter to remind us of the name of his book and the nature of his practice so that he's, re he's uh, introducing himself to you uh, as he uh, begins our conversation with what he's learned about the fourth quarter. And then I'll jump in and, and tell you a little something about what I've learned about the fourth quarter. So Peter, just remind us of the book that you've written and and the work that you're doing in our world. Sure, thanks, Sheila. I, I really loved our conversation last time, last week, and look forward to this again. You're so easy to talk to as a good coach is, so I really appreciate that. Uh, my, my coaching practice uh, is a career and life coaching practice I call Breakthrough, and I think that's what coaching, at least my approach to coaching, is all about, breaking through what's ever holding us back. And I have a book. I don't know if you can, does this show up the right way? Yes, it, it does. does. It says, get out of your own way and get on with it. Absolutely. Right. That's the name of my book. It's kind of a, a primer to coaching, at least the way I approach coaching. And the subtitle is A Practical Guide to Stop Self-Indulgent, Self-Judgment and Negative Thinking. And um, um, I love writing it. I love having a book. And I love sharing it with whoever is interested. So again, I have a career in life coaching practice. I work with men. I work with women of a lot of different ages from, let's say, 20-something all the way through. And I'll tell you, I hope it's going to be a quick story of um, how I got into this idea of a fourth quarter life coaching. And as you know, Sheila, one of the greatest tributes or uh, pleasures is when a coaching client of yours refers you to somebody else. Absolutely. That's, that's like the best. I mean, that's what it's all about. They feel confident and, and feel, feel good about what you brought them and they'll refer you to somebody else. So I had this client, I do most of my work on the phone. So clients are, are ev everywhere. I had this client in Houston. I've been working with him for about a year and a half. That's a long time for me. I don't believe in holding on to clients, you know, Sometimes it's three months, four months, six months, whatever it is. This time, this man keeps working at it and discovering new things he wants to work on. So we've been working together about a year and a half. So I'm talking to my client one day and he says, Coach Pete, I have another referral for you. I said, great. Who is it? I'd like you to talk to my mother. Ah. And I said, oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. He's a middle-aged man, about 45, I guess. Yeah, 45 years old. And he said, I think my mother could really benefit. Would you talk to her? I said, are you kidding? It would be a pleasure. So she called. We talked. Unbelievable woman, 69 years old, about to turn 70, very accomplished in her profession. She was a nurse in retirement, but not ready to stop, not ready to stop living with purpose. And so we were talking and she said, Pete, I really want help in the fourth quarter of my life. She said, I'm a football fan. So that's how I express it, the fourth quarter of my life. I don't know how much time I have left, hopefully a lot of years. 
I want to make the most of it. And I said, I won't use her name, but I said, I'm going to steal that title. I love it. So I started a, a landing page on my website for fourth quarter life coaching. I really believe in it. I know it for myself. I mean, I'm in the fourth quarter. I don't like saying it, but it's true. I'm in the fourth quarter of my life. And, um, and I know I've repurposed my life. I found new purpose, new fulfillment, new engagement, and fun. And I don't want that ever to stop, nor does she. So I'm offering that, you know, to the world. And, it, and it's really cool. I approach it very similarly to my other coaching. I'm a kind of a to-do list person in terms of my coaching. I give little assignments. And I didn't mention this to you last time. You're going to love this, Sheila. One of the assignments I give early on to most of my clients First, I think we did talk about, I asked people to do, uh, make up a list of the skills, capabilities, strengths, talents that they've accumulated over the years. I don't care how old you are, what stage of life, that's important to recognize. Some people have trouble with it. You know, they're not used to, they feel like they're bragging or something, so I have to encourage them. Whatever it is, it could be a list of six things or it could be three pages, whatever it is. The other list I, I assign early on, this is the part you'll love, I think, is what's your lovable list? Oh, nice. And, the and then I define it by, I mean, I don't know what that means to you. I'm sure it means a lot to you in your coaching. I define it by saying, what is it about you that people are attracted to in every which way? Just want to be in your presence, want to be in your sphere. So I love giving that assignment. It usually, people usually, you know, what? What are you talking about my lovable list? But it can be very helpful. And it was in this case with this woman who wanted fourth quarter life coaching. She's extremely lovable. She has a lot to offer this world. And I think it's an interesting starting point, don't you? Absolutely. So I'm so excited that we're doing such similar work, but in, in our own way, perhaps different. And that we're, and that we're uh, kind of, uh, as you say, we're both in our fourth quarter. I think you're younger than I. Uh, I'm transparent about that. I've turned 79 uh, just a few short months ago. Uh, actually, December. This is now February. Congratulations. And I envision having a long, full, vigorous life ahead of me. Awesome. So I think I uh, may have told you the story. Maybe I didn't. That when I was 60, I decided I want that to be my midpoint. You know, in Judaism, you, you, I love it. you know, you, you say, you should live to be 120, right? And right. I, I don't know how many people take it seriously or literally, but uh, so I decided when I was 60, I wanted that to be my midpoint. And part of my reasoning was that I wanted to see as much ahead of me as I see behind me. And part of my reference point for that was my mother who at the time I was turning 60, was turning 79. And on her 79th birthday, I said, Mama, you've always talked about wanting to live to your 80. Wouldn't, wow. you, wouldn't you like to change your goal? <laughs> Since your next birthday is 80, are you ready to go yet? And she said, no, of course not. I said, well, then change your goal. So she said, okay, 85. I said, Mama, think big. Why don't you say 105? I mean, Aunt, Aunt, Aunt Tina lived to be 104, right? So, so think big. No, no, 85 is fine. 
Peter, my mother died in one way when she was 85. She had a massive stroke. And she was, uh, as a result of that stroke, she landed in a nursing room, uh, a nursing home rather, until she was one week away from turning 90. So I don't know the extent to which her body complied with her goal. I don't. But I do know that you know, our bodies know everything. And if our subconscious mind is, is programmed for, you know, leaving this world when you're 85, the subconscious mind is very powerful. Who knows if her body said, okay, it's time to go now, but not, not entirely. So she was, you know, uh, living another five years uh, in, in her body, but she wasn't herself. So when I decided I wanted to make 60 my midpoint, when I turned 70, I was working on my first book series, which is entitled Ageless and Sexy. So when I turned 70, I decided I want 70 to be my new midpoint. So when I turned 75, I decided I want 75 to be my new midpoint. (laughs) So whether or not I, I at this point, live to be, uh, by the time I'm 80, you know, that'll be my new midpoint. But right now, whether or not I live to be 150, 60 or beyond, it's not the point so much as the mindset for me. Absolutely. And that I have the mindset and the intention of living a long time. Who knows? I could be hit by a Mack truck tomorrow. But I have the vision in my mind that I want to live a long time. So it matters how I take care of my body. It matters how I take care of my wellness. It matters what I look forward to. It matters that I've given myself credit for living long enough to write another book or another 10 books. And whether or not I write another book or another 20 books is not the point. The point is that I'm living into the next moment. I'm not sitting down and deciding, well, life is over. I'm just going to give up. So in the work that I do, I must say, I have not really uh, worked with many people my vintage, but the few that I do sometimes is a challenge because they've learned to think in a way that is... Uh, it's they're working against themselves. They're not thinking ahead. They're they're believing their old. Let's say the the, the old big lie. You know, well you're not going to be along around much. You're going to I mean give up. You know, don't 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 think big. Don't dream big. You know, or you tell me what have you discovered? Well, I think it's so interesting. You know what you said. First of all, just about you and observation. So you're in you're perpetually in middle age. I love it. I'm perpetually middle age. Exactly. So <laughs> I don't know, forward, I don't know if I'm in my fourth quarter or my, my third quarter. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, so, I mean, what I've learned is that, you know, any stage of life, you could have limited thinking. You know, there are 23-year-olds I work with that are limited in their thinking. I just talked to a, a new prospective client. I don't even know how old she is yet, but she's probably around 28, 29, uh, working, you know, productive, but not living her purpose. According to her, she's already told me that. And I could hear, she has such a quality in her voice that that's so engaging and she doesn't even really know it yet. Do you know what I'm saying? And she's thinking, you can tell she's kind of beaten down already. And so that could be in their 20s, 30s, 40s. 
you know, definitely in, in, in senior years, in the fourth quarter, that can sink in because the whole society is telling us that. I mean, I'll tell you an observation I had about me growing up. Oh, by the way, I can't let you say your age without me saying mine, but you got to promise not to tell anybody. Oh, okay. Your secret's safe with me, except... Just between you and me, okay? <laughs> Well, I, I just turned uh, 72 in, uh, in September. Oh, okay. so I'm not too far behind you. Not okay? too far behind. Okay, right. Um, and uh, my, that's my middle age. I love that. Uh, but I remember, I don't know the age exactly, but I remember, this is, again, like we talked last week about, I can speak about being a man in, in America. I can't speak about being a woman. I remember the, like, walk. I used to work in Manhattan. I can remember walking the streets and realizing, oh, my goodness, what's going on? I'm invisible. Oh, yes, that is, yeah. that is a major, uh, um, what's the word I want, uh, uh, fact. It's, it's a major fact of life for many of us getting older, that people tend to not see us. They don't pay attention the way we used to have people pay attention. Although, I make a, a point to be colorful, at least. Yes, you are. In, in every way you project that that's true but you know what i'm saying and, and again as a man i, I, I do. walk the streets you know women would look at me not that i'm interested i'm very happily married but but you know you kind of checking out the scenery and who's around you and all of a sudden I, it, it dawned on me i'm invisible nobody's looking and that's that's a disruption that's a that but it shouldn't hold you back either i mean it's an observation about life that's just the way it goes. It's like, it's like when you get your first notice from, from AARP. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a rude awakening, right? You're like yes. 49 going on 50. You get this notice. You go, that's not me. You rip it up. You throw it away. What are you kidding? That's, you got the wrong person. It usually well, takes a few years to accept that fact, you know? You're reminding me of my mother who lived across the street from the senior center and when she retired, I said, and she was complaining about being bored. I said, mama, you live across the street from the senior center. Why don't you, and she was, she retired when she was 78. Yeah, she retired when she was 78. Uh, and uh, so she was still vital. She had not had her stroke uh, for several years, actually. Uh, so mom, why don't you go to the senior center and, uh, you know, see what their activities are. Oh, I don't want to go there. That's the old people. Right. 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 So she didn't want to be associated with the old people, but they were her age. Yeah. She's just, she was different because she worked. She actually had tried to retire when she was 65. She, she, she lasted three months and she called me. She said, this is awful. I'm going to get another job. <laughs> she got a job working for the orthodontist in the next office she had been working for an orthodontist for many years and she'd retired from that. So he hired someone new. So she, so she worked for the orthodontist in the next office who was, I think, 83 at the time. So that made her younger. And he had fired, not fired, but had retired his office manager, who I think was 87 or something. So he was used to having people around for a long time who were older. So she was young. She was 65 uh, when she got that job. Was she 65? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, so she had that job until she, until she retired from that at the age of 78. Yeah. 
So it's a funny thing about age. You know, our mind plays tricks on us. You know, it's not me. Like in my mind, if you ask me, how old are you, Pete? I'd, I'd say, I swear, I'd say 26, you know. Well, there are times I feel like I'm 19, 26, 32, uh, 42. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I'll wake up in the morning, I'll look at the rest of, oh, who are you? <laughs> there's, a great, there's a great quote from, I think, the spiritual leader Ram Das. Yes. And, and I, I, I won't have the quote exactly, but he, he talks about how you, again, you wake up one day and you go, you look and go, whose hand is that? Whose foot is that? You know, not realizing, oh my God, that's me. And um, that's part of the aging process. There's nothing, nothing you can do about it. It's just funny how you, everybody looks at it a little different. Some people like to hold on to their youth with, you know, cosmetic surgery or this or that. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but you know, what are we fighting? What are we fighting? We're fighting the stigma of age. Yes. I mean, I, I gotta tell you, uh, when I saw the crinkling uh, creepy crawlies coming on my hands, <laughs> I, I really freaked out, right? Because I had prided myself on having beautiful smooth hands. And when they started to show the signs of aging, I wanted to hide them. Yeah. But now I prize them. You know, I wear a, a nice gold uh, uh, a polish, simple, but, but kind of a gold, little bit of bling, right? And my hands, you know, my hands have wrinkles. I've earned it, right? My face has wrinkles. I've earned it. I now, I have, you know, uh, my wonderful platinum uh, sides. My, you know, my hair, what you see is what you get, you know? I mean, this is, and, and, and I, kind of, I kind of like just prizing who I am, what I am, the age I am and not hiding. I'm on dating sites right now. And uh, I met someone recently who happens to be 73. And uh, we've had several conversations on FaceTime. And I know that my face, anyway, my hands might look older, but my face doesn't look quite 79. And uh, he, he asked me what, he said, how old are you? I said, I'm 79. He says, no, can't be. Of course, we, we all like to hear that, right? Of course, of course, of course. I, ju I just heard about something. I don't know if you saw it. If I could dig it out, I'll send it to you. You know how they have like markers like 30 under 30, 40 under 40 of success, particularly in the business world, executives who make it right, right. at 30 or younger or 40. I saw one, some, I don't know who sent it to me. It's 80 over 80. And it was so fantastic. You saw famous people, you know, from all walks of life with their profile, like a caricature of them or a photograph and, a, and a, you know, three or four paragraphs about their amazing lives. It was fabulous. Fabulous. Oh, yeah. That, that, I, want, I want to be that when I grow up, right? Oh, it was so uh, cool. Yeah. But, but I, I think one of the things that occurs to me as I'm speaking is that it's so important to be at ease and accepting of whatever age you are, exactly. whether you're 70, 73, 79, whatever. Uh, and I'm not trying to hide it. It, it is what it is. If, if that bothers a guy who's younger than I, oh, well. Uh, I've, I've dated men much younger than I. I actually get along with guys younger than I because they have more energy. <laughs> so, sometimes the guys who are older, don't have the energy I'd 
resonate with anyway. And, and yet my old boyfriend from 50 years ago is the youngest, sexiest 83-year-old I know. Awesome. What a guy. He is. He is. He is a great guy. So you can be, you can be vital and sexy at any age. And so, uh, so what, what have you discovered is the, uh, the challenge you have or the pleasure you have in working with people in the fourth quarter? Well, it's not unlike other stages, ages and stages. It's, it's thrilling because it's new to me to take it on, uh, the work. So I love the fact that it's, it, it, it's the human condition. It's, it's whatever stage you're at, whatever age you're at, you're facing the same things. You're facing, you know, some limited thinking. You're, you're facing, uh, you know, what's held you back, you know, like what gets in your own way. Exactly, you know? yes. Because things can get in your way at any stage. And to recognize it and then see it, and cast it aside and, and make a move, you know, whatever that is, try something new, uh, a new course, a, a new profession, volunteer, whatever it is. So the, the, the best example is a woman I'm working with who, you know, left a 40-year career in nursing and also bi the business of healthcare. She was very accomplished. She had so many interests. So she was trying, when she first came to me on the recommendation of her son, it was to tr try to find something new to work at, some new aspect of her career. But we were talking and it all, you know, I try to get people to look at what's inside them, what, what they're, what's really turning them on at this point in their lives. And one day after, you know, a couple of months into the coaching process, she said, you know, Coach Pete, I really decided I don't want to work. I, I earned this, this, point in my life. I'm ready for my retirement. I'm prepared for my retirement. I have a house. I'm independent. I love my garden. I love this. And she has all a list of things she loves. And she said, that's what I want to do. And she's also a writer. And that's what she's focusing on now is mm -hmm. her writing. She like writes essays and blog, blog uh, posts. Yeah. And that was her decision. And it was like, awesome. So, so she's ready to put that behind, not worry about, you know, because it's interesting. When I say limited thinking, a lot of it's from our past. She still had the limited thinking or the, or the thought process from her mother, who was also worked until a very old age, mm -hmm. or as you would put it, middle age. And <laughs> uh, um, so it was always keep driving, keep driving, keep driving, keep working, you know, till, till you die. You'd be a nurse that she was a nurse also and finally she she got clarity of like no that's my mother's dream i've lived my professional life i'm ready to do my wonderful gardening and and cooking and and writing and socializing and now unfortunately we had this year which interrupts the socializing but sure. she's got so much to give it's just a pleasure we have the greatest conversations sharing books and everything. It's great. So, so you're really touching on something that is so key at any age and stage, but certainly at that fourth quarter or third quarter, or however you want to put it, or halfway <laughs> point. Uh, and that is to be dedicated to be engaged in things you love, things you love to do, experiences you love to have, uh, things you'd love to learn about, to immerse yourself in and things that you never really perhaps had time for in the other 
two or three uh, quarters of your life, right? And, you know, uh, I retired from being the cantor, which I had done for over 20 years of my life. So I retired from that when I was 62. And then I opened my doors to my practice in coaching. So this is the next stage of my life. And there's, there's never an end to the work we can do in this realm. So I'm happy to be doing this maybe in different ways, maybe different modalities. And during COVID, we're doing a lot of Zoom and phone right now, but I still do have my office. And I love to write. So my problem is finding the time. And I love creating new coaching programs. So again, that's a challenge, how to do that and how to do it effectively. But that, you know, keeps me on my toes. And this podcast is something I've always wanted to do, which is taking on its own life because coming from this is ideas and content and, and ways to expand that I hadn't really thought of, right? And it's all about the, the magic that is for all of us when we take action in any way whatsoever. And exactly. the problem is many for many people, when they get to that fourth quarter of life or that third quarter, they stop being in motion. They slow down. They, 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 they stop learning. They stop being engaged in the things that they used to do that they loved that they somehow believe that it's too late or they can't do it anymore. Or they can't do it the way they used to do it. So they don't want to do it at all. Right. And, and I think, you know, well, maybe, maybe there are a lot of things you couldn't do the way you used to do it, but why should that stop us from finding new ways to do it? And that includes personal intimate relationships, quite frankly, which we won't get into the details of now. Maybe that's another conversation, right? But, but it's really true. Yes, our bodies change, but our psyches still need touch and connection and relationship and companionship. So what if our bodies aren't what they used to be? Big deal, right? <laughs> so. Totally, totally. Uh, I mean, you just you just said so much. It, it, it's all it's all true. Um, why stop? I, I have some friends. You know, now I'm at the age where I have friends who are retired. I will never retire because I'll always have. You know, I, my reinvention of myself in the business realm. I became a uh, a consultant at the right time. So I extended my career for about 14 years because mm -hmm. I learned something years before by uh, an old geezer of 72. Now my age. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I worked for his agency in New York and, and we, we, we went on a pitch together and uh, it was a very engaging man, really smart. He said, Pete, you know, nobody wants to do business with their father. And so he was feeling it running this agency for like 35, 40 years he realized he couldn't go out there and pitch and meet because the marketing people are young. Now they're younger than ever. So I was young at that time, I'm, I'm, but I filed it in the back of my mind. And so I made a transition, not so much for that, but it turned out that way where I consulted and did selling for, for people on a, on a contract for services basis. So I'm selling through phone and email and I never ha had to face that issue of, Gee, I'm, I'm, someone's going to look at me like their father. They're not going to give me business. Do you know what I'm saying? So there's, all, there's a lot of ways to, 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 to evolve. And then for me, I evolved into coaching, which is something that 
really, I think I told you last time, was rediscovering what my life purpose really is, which yes. is help, helping people. And uh, so I'm so lucky. I can do that. You can do that well beyond your middle age, well beyond, you know. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and, and as long as uh, one of uh, Brian Baird, whom you know, was, uh, he was yeah. my first conversation. He was the inaugural conversation for the podcast. So he uh, has a, a phrase he likes to use. He says, loving is thriving. Or love is a, is a thriving deal. And fear is a survival de deal. So as long as we are in fear, fear it's too late, fear I'm too old, fear I'm too weak, fear I don't have enough money, fear, you know, whatever the fear may be that stops us, we're just in survival mode and that's no fun. So I want to be in thriving mode all of my life, which means I have to be willing to love what I do and do what I love. And at, at our fourth quarter in life, it's our opportunity to say, you know, like your, like your clients you told me about, whatever her name is, doesn't matter. You know, I've, I've paid my dues. I've been around the block a few times. I've learned and I've saved and I've, I've achieved. And, and now it's time for me to enjoy smelling coffee, smelling the roses, planting my garden, writing books, reading books doing the kinds of things that I never thought I'd live long enough to do, but here I am. Either for personal satisfaction, like you're talking about, um, things you always want to do for your own enjoyment, or to serve, you know, to live to a certain age, we've accumulated life experience and knowledge in whatever field we've worked in or thought about, um, and we can offer that to people. It's a great organization. I'm sure you know about it. I think it's called SCORE. Yeah, SCORE is great. Yeah. It's fantastic. It takes, uh, you know, business executives who, who've reached a certain level of success. They may be retired. They may be retiring or maybe they're already retired. And they counsel, they coach, basically, young entrepreneurs, young people in business. And they help them. We have a lot to offer. And it can be in so many different ways. You could, you know, I, I can, everybody well, knows well, first of all, we have a lot to offer, but a lot of people who get to their fourth quarter in life might be believing what they were taught that was the lie that they should just give up. Sorry about that. That's all right. They should just give up or it's still ringing. Okay. Okay. Uh in other words, if you if you were raised thinking that you know life was essentially over by the time you're 65, just give up, right? Or you hadn't really thought about uh, the whole concept of giving back or or paying it forward or or legacy or whatever. Uh, a lot of people don't even think of volunteering their time. It doesn't occur to them. So that in and of itself is an attitude. It's a belief. And, and, and it's, it's all about being positive, isn't it? I mean, you and I are dedicated to positivity, positive thinking, positive mindset. And if someone can be encouraged and guided and taught to approach that third or fourth quarter from the standpoint of how can I share what I've gathered throughout the decades of my life 
I, I must say, Peter, this is one of the great satisfactions I acknowledge now in this, my, my, my Sheila Pearl midlife. And that is, <laughs> I really, I do, I've, I've learned it's okay to celebrate myself. It's okay to say, you know, I've learned so much in my life and I just enjoy sharing it, not from the standpoint of I'm superior or upmanship or whatever, but from the standpoint of it, uh, of the olden days when the children would sit at their grandparents' knee and listen to stories and be willing to be guided. Do you know that it's really difficult to, to watch the, the uh, generation gap to the point where children no longer value their elders? They just don't. Do you think that's true? I think it's true of many children or many, many people now different from maybe long ago when they were taught to, to value and honor their elders to the point where there are times I do feel invisible with certain members of my family. And when I'm with them, they don't call upon my wisdom. They're busy telling me all about themselves. And not that I don't want to hear about them, I do. But what if I could hear more often, Nana, tell me about what it was like for you. Nana, what have you learned about life? I want to know. That I would like to hear more often. I remember a recent trip I made to my grandchildren. And uh, I, you know, I'm keenly aware that life is short and you never know. So I like to have conversations that aren't superficial. So, you know, so we were sitting around the Shabbat table and I said, so can we talk about the meaning of life? And I got, oh, no, no, don't be silly. I'm not being silly. I'm being serious, right? Well, what are you talking about? I said, well, to me, the meaning of life is joy. And immediately I saw them looking kind of thoughtful, like it hadn't occurred to them. Or like they maybe were discovering me in a new way for the first time. Because I decided to be proactive in wanting to perhaps generate or inspire or invite a conversation of substance. But so often, children don't look at their parents or their grandparents with a sense of wondering what they can learn from them, but how fast they can get away from them. Right. Well, I think we have a lot of disconnection going on for a couple, you know, quite a, quite a period of time, not just seniors and grandchildren, but all of us are kind of disconnected too easily. You know, we're, we're in, in these bubbles of communication with ourselves and, um, you know, everybody's so busy and um, we're not connected. Um, and so what you're talking about, I think, is real connection. You, you, you're talking about speaking with your grandchildren about meaning, about purpose, about what's in your heart, wanting to know what's in their heart. And I got to believe, now I, I, we don't, we're not blessed with grandchildren yet, or maybe we won't be. I don't get a vote. So, I, you know, I don't know if it's going to be for us. Uh, I can only imagine what that must feel like, though. Because I remember when Isaac, our firstborn, was born, and I didn't know how I was going to react. We, you know, life is on-the-job training, isn't it? It's on the job training. Yep. There's, there's no preview. I mean, you really, you, you're just learning on the job. Absolutely. 
So I remember holding little Isaac in my forearm, you know, his, his head was in my hand, you know, in the hospital. And it, it's, it scared me. It exhilarated me. It like, it put me in the universe. It put me in history. It put me in all of mankind. And I never thought about that before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I felt the responsibility and the wonder. It was unbelievable. So I can, I can't even really imagine, even though we have friends with grandchildren, what that mean, must be like at this stage to look at yet the next generation. It must be indescribable, right? It is indescribable. It really is. And my grandchildren were not biological grandchildren. I helped my husband raise his teenagers uh -huh. who then became adults and then had uh, their family. Uh, so I was the step mother and the step grandmother, but nonetheless, to me, they were n no less precious just, just be because they weren't from my loins as it were. They weren't my DNA. I had been a part of uh, my, my stepchildren's lives. So I became a part of my grandchildren's lives. And when they were born, it was magical. It was beyond, beyond. It was the, the wonder of this new generation and uh, being a part of their lives. Now, now I have uh, my grandson's uh, 27. My granddaughter's 25. Wow. My grandson's a rabbi and married, and my granddaughter is engaged and she and her boyfriend just bought a house and you know it's it's amazing so so i've had the pleasure of watching these two people grow up from the time they were little babies and to have the the privilege of being a part of that process which it is right absolutely so, uh and yet it's so interesting that i often get the the, the feeling the impression that they are not that curious about me. It's almost like some you know, kids these days are being raised with the notion that they're the center of the universe and the sun revolves around them. Yeah, what we've done. And, and it, it doesn't take away from their being wonderful, beautiful people. Totally. Intelligent and and, and uh, my granddaughter is a great teacher. She's working on her master's, I think maybe her PhD in, uh, you know, special curriculum for special needs. And and uh, my grandson is a, a beautiful man and, and, and talented and brilliant and a rabbi and all those things. Doesn't take away from that, doesn't make it any less. But it's kind of interesting that I kind of wish they'd be a little more curious about me. Interesting. It, it's kind of a, a longing I have. Mm. But, but I do have a niece who's 40 who is curious about me. And she recently relocated from California to upstate here. So I've had the pleasure of visiting with her. And we're getting to know each other for the first time in our lives wow. on this level. And it's, Auntie Sheila, when can you come visit again? And as soon as I leave, Auntie Sheila, I was just reflecting on how much I enjoyed our, our time together. I can't hope to, I can't wait to see you again. And we have so much in common. We talk about uh, our, our work and our ideas. And we, have a, we, we both sing, we're both teachers. You know, it's kind of an interesting uh, commonality. And that kind of sharing, that kind of reciprocity between one generation and another, to me, is so precious also, right? Sure, sure. I mean, I remember back when I was growing up and my grandparents, you know, the, 
they were immigrants in, in their day. And I would just love to sit literally on my grandfather's knee, not on his knee, but at his knee. And the stories that he used to tell, and well, he was a character. He, he was the type of grandparent. He was different with each of his grandsons. We, we had a family of three boys. And so he would relate to me all sports. He would talk about Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. And, and I, I just ate it up. My older brother, Rick, uh, it was all about books because that's what he was into. Uh, my younger brother, Don, I have to ask him because he was the youngest was like the baby. I don't know what they talked about, but, you know, very distinctly different. But he used to wake me up 530 in the morning when he was visiting and say, Pete, let's go walk into the village because we lived in a, a community where you could walk into town, into the stores. and He would get his paper and his, you know. Uh, coffee and and um, cold cuts for the day you know and what a thrill to walk and watch the sunrise through the park with my grand with my grandfather oh it's great just great I wish I could you know feel that again you know and uh from our lips to God's ears you should experience being a grandparent in some way and and, and maybe in a way you will that will surprise you um, or a surrogate grandfather. I mean, I was surrogate mother and grandmother to, to many, many people. So I, I am able to experience that satisfaction in other ways with different people. Sure, sure. I'm kind of like a, a honorary grandmother to several people in my life. This gets us back to what we're talking about with fourth quarter. There are so many ways of expressing what's inside of you. Yeah. Whether it's working with little kids, um, teenagers, uh, sharing your business experience, whatever it is, your professional experience. There's so many ways. Or just, you know, plants or animals. You know, so many people are into animals. There's so many things you can do to be fulfilled. You used two words that I wrote down and I just love. Thrive and shine. Those are two of my favorite words and definitely when talking about fourth quarter of life clients. There's no reason they can't thrive and shine. Let it shine. What's ever inside, you've got so much to offer. I mean, you know, you're a perfect example of it. You shine, you absolutely shine to the world. And you know that, you know? Well, I, I feel joy. So I, what I know about joy is that it's got its own energy. Yeah, and uh, I feel full. I feel, um, gr I feel grateful. So that that has you know some sort of shine to it. I think, right? Um, I'm happy to get up in the morning. I can hardly wait to meet my day. I was actually concerned about being able to get to my apartment, uh, to my office safely today because of the snow, but uh, I did, and uh, I'm. I'm hoping I get home safely too, <laughs> but, but, uh, awesome. but, um, you know, I, I look forward to my, my work. I look forward to meeting my day. I look forward to, you know, living a long life and, you know, to extend my fourth quarter or maybe my third quarter, or my fourth, fourth quarter, whichever that is. Um, what kind of guidance do you feel most helpful for the people that you work with in the fourth quarter? Is it different? You said it's, it's almost the same as other aspects of your coaching, but is there anything that's different or unique? 
The difference, I mean, it, it, it's very similar because humans are humans. You know, there's things that hold us back both in our minds and limited thinking or experience, you know, people told us, you know, only to, to think so far, to act so far, to, to um, uh, set goals so far. So a lot of it is, you know, opening things up. Um, you know, even the, the older clients that I have, they'll talk about, and some, sometimes it comes back even clearer than the younger people. Because they'll, they'll talk about things their mother or father said, you know, like the racket in our heads, the, the repeating, you know, the voices in our heads, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who are you to think you could do this? Or who are you to expect that? Or what makes you think you could? And, and there's all things about you know, even recognizing strength. Some people have a terrible time with that because they don't want to feel like they're boasting or they're bragging, you know, because so many of us are raised to keep that in, you know, and it's not, it's not bragging, it's recognizing, it's acknowledging, it's, it's looking at who we are. So we do a lot of that. And it's very gratifying because sometimes it's, you know, even for the first time that they're looking at things that they hadn't looked at before. Um, you know, I'm reminded of something's flashing my mind, so I think I'll, I'll share it with you. Were you you're familiar with the book uh, Tuesdays with Maury? Of course. Wasn't that glorious? Did you see the, the series of TV shows that led yes. up to I, Well, I saw some of it, but the book was brilliant and and very touching and, and really to the point where, oh, my God, life is so precious. And each of those visits was just a jewel, right? So tell if, me if more. Remember, Ted Koppel was the you know, um, professional, austere, you know, never, never, it was the old school of journalism, never, never give you his opinion or his feeling. And he got to know, he interviewed Maury for the, for the listeners, people who were watching. He was a, uh, a professor at Brandeis University, his whole career, a teacher, mm. capital letters, a teacher. He lived to teach. And he, he was getting up in years. He was in his seventies, I believe. I don't remember exactly how old he's in his seventies. And he got ALS. He got Lou Gehrig's disease. Right. And so somebody, one of Koppel's uh, uh, producers, recommended he go up to Boston where this old man lived. I shouldn't say old. This middle-aged man lived and who was struggling with this disease. And Koppel got just infatuated with Maury. And he, he went back maybe four or five, even six times. I don't remember how many shows of 2020. It was when he was the... Um, mm -hmm. for 2020 and they'd go up and they'd listen and he would pontificate about his life and one time I will never forget here's Maury and, and forgive me I mean I know you'll understand if I start to cry because this is emotional to me Maury's talking about his, his, his days as a child and he recalls his mother when he was seven years old the story that he was telling and Maury starts to cry Ted Koppel says to him, and Ted Koppel starts to cry. He, they were really connected at that point. And, and Ted said, I don't understand, Maury. This is 70 years ago. This is the part that gets me. He says, she's right here with me all the time. Oh, Isn't that beautiful? It is beautiful. He's with me right now to his dying day. Oh, 
And it's it's a reminder, Pete. Uh, I, I, I've known you as Peter, so I keep calling you Peter. And I know people call you uh, Coach Pete. Either way, either way, just call me. It's okay. Just call you. To, so it's a reminder to me of what I've learned, and I say it often, that life is not about time. It's about magic. Oh, wow. Life is not about time. It's about magic. And as long as we're here, make it magical. So whether or not we have a short life, a long life, and however you define that, choose to make your life magical. Because it can be. At any age, at any stage, at any point. And I will tell you that my last kiss with my husband before he took his last breath mm. was far more magical than the first kiss. Wow. You know, I don't know if you've had this experience in taking courses, which have been sometimes very intense. And maybe it's a three-month course, maybe it's a year course. And, you, and, the, and the professor says, don't miss this next class. It's our last class, but you have 90% of the course ahead of you. And I never really understood that fully until I had the last kiss with my husband. Yeah. You have 90% ahead of you, no matter where you are in your life. Because everything before is prelude. And it brings you to that moment. And that moment is magic. Whatever that is. Ooh. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. So I honor where each of us is in our lives. Especially when we have been around six, seven, eight decades. And when we still can be who we are in the world and can give what we have to give in the world. And the more we each recognize it's precious, we give each other credit. When sometimes others might treat us like we're not there. Maybe sometimes others look at us as, as if we're irrelevant because we're living in a youth-centered culture. So the challenge for those of us who are in the Sheila Pearl middle age or the Coach Pete fourth quarter <laughs> yeah. is to remind ourselves to not believe that big lie. We are extremely relevant. We have treasures to share to share we are treasures and we can bring a great deal to the table whatever table we go to so out in dating world i see this as interviewing prospective partners who are capable of recognizing a beautiful woman when they see her, regardless of her age. Because the beauty is not my face. The beauty is me. The beauty is not your face, Pete. It's your face. It's, it's, it's your heart. It's, your, it's, it's our souls, our, our essence. And when you get older and your eyes may dim, 
we can see the essence of people more clearly. Because it's not about your face. It's not about the wrinkles on your hand or not. (laughs) Right? It's about you're recognizing that if you've been around this long, you must have something to share that I want to have some of. I, and that's why I'm enjoying this conversation with you, Pete, because you have so much to share that I'm discovering because I rediscovered you in my third, third or fourth quarter, and I knew you in my second quarter. <laughs> that's, right? Right. that's right. It's really interesting. And, you know, you're an example, and I, I think I am too. I know I am, of it just can keep getting productive and and you can thrive you can shine just stay open use the word curious stay curious stay open stay learning and looking within too because we all have it inside us i don't care if you're in your fourth quarter or your first quarter or second quarter inside you've got something to offer this world everybody everybody i'm convinced of it uh it's different for everybody but you, you get in touch with that and you nurture that and you find ways of expressing that. And then you find that joy that you're, that you're talking about and that, that hopefully everybody's looking for. Why not live a joyful life? We can. We can. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled that you've discovered this coaching uh, niche for yourself. It's a, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for you to, first of all, share you and to remind people that come to you who are in their fourth quarter what their possibilities are because they're in their fourth quarter. Not despite yeah. it, but because That's right. of it. That's right. And, and I'm kind of circling back around to, let's talk about making love better. What we're talking about is love of our lives. What we're talking about is loving the fact that we've gotten to a certain point in life where we're extremely relevant. We have riches to offer. We have wisdom to offer. It's all about legacy. It's all about legacy. You can't have legacy if you haven't paid your dues, if you haven't, you know, walked in the trenches and fallen down and gotten up and fallen down again and learned that, you know, making mistakes is, all about learning about life. It's not about being a failure. How else are you going to learn that unless you're willing to walk that, that path? Absolutely. So by the time you get to be 60, 70, 80 and beyond, wouldn't you want to talk to people who've been around that long and understand what they've been through and how they prevailed? Doesn't that make for a very valuable conversation? Sure. No question. No question. And for me, I'm really, I'm really so fortunate to be doing the work that I've taken on and the coaching and all of that. I'm doing some work also at the other end. I'm working with fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And I've oh, never wow. done that. I've wow. Never, not, not so much coaching. This is more, I'm teaming up. I like to do a lot of co-presenting. And there's a woman that I've worked with in the past and we're, uh, she does a lot of work in the school system in the town that we work in. And, and there's a thing that's, it's called Saturday Academy that somebody created in, in Nyack. 
and it uh, it's for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And there's some amazing teachers uh, who teach dance and movement and breathing and art to these fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And we've been asked to come in and talk about you know other kinds of things, kind of looking inside and also things about uh, social justice uh, concepts. So I'm, I'm stay tuned. I'm just starting that, but it's a whole other world. So I'm working kind of both ends, which That's is unbelievable. Great. Isn't that exciting? Well, yeah. you're going to you're going to keep them on their toes, and they're going to keep you on yours. Well, they're keeping me on. I got to oh, tell. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So, if you had to sum it up in terms of what it is you want your clients in the fourth quarter to learn about themselves, how would you sum that up? How to learn or what to learn? What? What to learn about themselves? Um, that they still have a tremendous amount to offer. And it's all inside them. All they have to do is take a little time, doesn't take long, to look inside, ask the right questions, answer the right questions, and, and do some of the work. You know, coaching is work. Uh, we team up and, and you know, I'll propose uh, certain things to think about or assignments to do. And then it's their job to be accountable to that. But it's to look inside, really take an inventory and say, what, what do I have going for me? What have I, what do I have going for me that I've always had that I've neglected? You know, if I was that, that, you know, musician that I never gave time to or singer or artist, writer, you know, here's a woman who's now ready to, you know, explore publishing a book of her essays. It's fantastic. And she's turned on by that and just needs a little bit of guidance of like, hey, Let's look up editors in your area of the world and see, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. And it starts a whole conversation. You go, what? It's like you said, action. What's the action you can take from that inner quality, talent, interest that you have? How can you put it into action? And then see where it goes, you know? Okay, doesn't go where you thought it was? Well, maybe it'll go this way or that way. So- Long way of saying, look inside, see what's there, see what turns you on. You know, be turned on, thrive, find be, that joy. Be turned on and thrive is what I would like to underscore in this conversation. To be willing to fall madly in love with yourself and all that you've become and all that you can continue to learn and grow about and all that you can give, all that you can share of yourself, and to celebrate that. Yep. And uh, that's a great place to conclude this conversation, Coach Pete. And uh, I want you to remind our listeners how they can find you. Well, um, my telephone number is 845-642-1839. That's my cell number. I'm on, I have a website. I'd welcome anybody to find out more about me on my website. It's pretty, it's got a lot of information. I have some blogs up there about some of the topics that Sheila and I have talked about. And the website is um, the name of my practice. It's sort of, it's breakthroughwithcoachpete.com. All one word, breakthroughwithcoachpete.com. That's easy to remember. So 
Coach Pete, Peter Heyman, my dear friend and colleague of the past 30 years. It's so wonderful to reconnect with you with more substance and more depth at this stage of our lives than ever before. That's right. Such a pleasure. So again, this is Sheila Pearl, the love doctor, talking about making love better. So the next time, I wish you love and joy in your life. Bye for now. <laughs>